Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. Today I'm visiting with uh, author Rita Pendry, and we're talking about her book, In the Frame. This is the fifth novel in the Mercy Johnson legal thriller series. Mercy Johnson is a criminal defense attorney in Washington, D.C., who takes on difficult clients and hard-to-win cases. Rita knows something about what she writes, having spent most of her career as a criminal defense attorney uh, in Washington and then in Charlotte. Uh, Rita, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you were raised in Charlotte, uh, and you, like me, are a recovering trial lawyer. Is that right? Two things we have in common. Yes, yes. It is an addiction. Yeah. Um, now, you got to be a lawyer, I think, uh, in an interesting way. Uh, you got fired. Is that right? That's how you got to be a lawyer. From my first job out of college. <laughs> yeah, you were working, uh, I think you told me the story, as a social worker and uh you were fired for consorting with a welfare <laughs> rights organizer or something like that. Sounds horrible. <laughs> and then you got a lawyer who hired you and uh, actually a pretty famous lawyer, uh, Julius Chambers, uh, agreed to represent you. You went to work there. And then what? That somehow led to uh, you going to law school? Right. I was there two years and they encouraged me to go and helped me through the process of applying and admissions and all that. And I ended up at UNC Law School. Yeah, and you said no one in your family had ever been a lawyer. You didn't. Most of them hadn't gone to college. You weren't even thinking about being a lawyer. So was it everything you didn't know it was going to be? Well, it, having been with them for two years and, and seeing what they did, I guess I had a notion of what it was going to be like. But, um, yeah, nobody in my family had ever. I, I never thought about being a lawyer. I, I yeah. majored in theology, religion. So, 
Well, yeah, and you bring some of that in here, some of your books too, I think. But uh, but because that career path that you took informs your writing, I thought we would talk just a moment uh, about you as a as a lawyer because uh, you graduated University of North Carolina School of Law. You practiced in Washington and in North Carolina for most of your legal career, but you did mostly criminal defense. What kind of cases did you handle? We handled uh, major felonies. Um, when I first started practicing, I did some juvenile representation and then some misdemeanors, but at PDS, they moved us in, into felonies and uh, we had a lot of training, a lot of supervision, and I did murder cases, rape cases, very serious felonies. At the Federal Defender, I did um, high-level drug cases, gun cases, some murder cases. You obviously um, got to experience firsthand a lot of interesting stories. Did you think when you were you were a lawyer that one day you might be writing uh, some of these stories as an author? I thought that I wanted to write. I didn't have in mind gathering material for, for my books as I was defending my clients. But, um, and and I, I knew I'd have to be careful not to uh, put anything in my books that could be traced back to a client or to a case. I know it was a good way to get experience to write a legal mystery, but that wasn't my aim, really. Yeah, now your protagonist in your books that we're going to be talking about here, we're going to be talking about your latest book, In the Frame, but uh, in all these five books, you've got uh, a female protagonist, Mercy Johnson. She's one of these criminal defense lawyers that uh, somehow always figures out a way to get it done. Uh, is there Was there a little bit of, of, of mercy in you, or were you just hoping to be like mercy? No, I think there's <laughs> a little bit of mercy in me. But as I, uh, I've always said, she's a composite of all the really wonderful women defense attorneys I worked with, and there were so many good lawyers in both my offices in D.C. So I was lucky to know them and know how they fought and how they worked and how they saved their clients from disaster. Yeah, and, you know, Mercy is a very confident woman in the book. She doesn't mind going to court. She loves the trial experience. You said that you sort of initially didn't much like that. It made you nervous, uh, made you, and then eventually you got some help and some guidance and you sort of took to it. Was that your path uh, into the courtroom? Yeah, well, at first it made me throw up. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. just yeah. before going in, but yeah. um, I got used to it. I, 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 there was a network at the Public Defender Service in D.C., which was a perfect training ground. And um, working through that network, I got much, much, much more confident. And so. Well, that's good. What you know, you, you now divide your time between writing and you say working with homeless animals. You spend a fair amount of your time helping homeless cats. You say you like dogs too, but are there some cats uh, moving around in the background here or downstairs? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> there are a few. <laughs> How many cats do you have? Oh, Landis. <laughs> you'll, yeah. you'll paint me as a crazy cat lady. I have yeah. I have seven rescues. Seven rescues. Okay. Um Snow White and the Seven Cats. Huh? <laughs> exactly. Oh my. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you said you you know usually two or three of them lolling around on your desk while you're writing. Is that is that true? Do they keep you company while you write? They do, and I have to put my laptop, my uh, keyboard on my lap to type because they're 
just wherever they choose to be, I just have to work around them. All right. Well, look, let's, uh, I'd like to uh, get under the covers in just a second, but before we do, let's talk about the uh, front cover of your book. This is audio. So I need you to paint us a little picture um, as to what we're looking at. Well, there's a silhouette of a woman facing the Capitol and uh, it's um, uh, the background is a sort of overcast, cloudy uh, sky, turbulent, I would say, with clouds rolling in and, um, I see that lone silhouette as mercy. Yeah, and and you know, Rita, I remember. So we met several years ago, and I've I'd read some of your books. I think I, um, was, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, I was commenting to you that the cover didn't quite match the, the the great writing that was inside. And I think you went back, and you're going back to actually rework your covers. And I, I just thought, you know, do you have any observation about the value of having a good cover and whether if you were doing it over again, you might have done the covers differently the first time around? Oh, yeah. And, you know, part of that's being an amateur and part of it's doing the self-publishing thing. And um, <clears throat> part of it's not wanting to spend a whole bunch of money. Um, right. But the new covers, I think, are so good. And they're, <clears throat> excuse me, they're um, consistent, I think, one book to the next and they much more reflect the content. Yeah, I, I really do. And I think, you know, there'll be an image of this cover in the show notes at charlottereerspodcast.com uh, after this episode comes out. And it really does make a difference, the cover does. So I'm just saying to listeners, if you're writing a book, uh, you know, spend a little extra money and get a good cover because, uh, you know, if you spend all that time sweating on the words, you know, Make sure you got a good cover to go with. All right, you ready, Rita, to get under the covers? I am. Hey, listeners, we'll be getting under the covers in just a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Carrie Knowles. She's the 2014 North Carolina Piedmont Laureate for Short Fiction. Carrie is an award-winning writer of books and stories who also helps writers with their craft. Her latest gift to writers comes in the form of a book published by Al Canyon Press, called A Self-Guided Workbook and Gentle Tour on Learning How to Write Stories from Start to Finish. I read it, and I plan to read it again because I'm sure it will make me a better writer. Find out more about Carrie and how to get her writing book at cjanework.com. That's C-J-A-N-A-W-O-R-K.com. Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O.fm. And if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word. You may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte Reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, you're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. Rita, I thought before we talked about the book, it would be nice just to have you read the opening chapter because I think it does a good job of setting the stage. So if you could do that for us, uh, that'd be great. Chapter one, the phone rang in Congressman Jack Fontaine's inner office. He slid from the embrace of his newest intern and motioned for her to stand by. What is it, Eileen? He growled at his secretary. I told you no interruptions. I'm sorry, sir, but two Capitol Police officers are here. They need to speak with you. About what? Fontaine shuffled papers on his desk, covering one stack with the morning's edition of the Washington Post. The secretary hesitated. Fontaine bellowed. 
Eileen, what the hell's going on? What do they want with me? A hard rap on his office door drowned out her response. Police, sir, open up. Pointing to a desk in the corner of his office, he waited for the intern to sit down and open a laptop, then went to the door. He moved back as two Capitol Police officers stepped into the room. One handed him a sheet of paper. Sorry to barge in, Congressman. We need to talk to you. It might be better if we spoke in private. The officer glanced at the intern. Fontaine dismissed her. Come back later, and with some research I can use next time. The young intern reddened, grabbed the laptop, and left the room. Now, what's this about? Fontaine checked the officer's badge, Officer Jenkins. The expression on Jenkins' face signaled he'd rather be at the dentist, but he answered firmly. It's about that warrant I just handed you, Congressman. You'd better read it, sir. He waited, hands at his side. Fontaine reached for a pair of glasses and examined the warrant. Arrest, he exploded. What the hell? Is this some kind of joke, Jenkins? Jenkins held his ground. I'm afraid not, Congressman. My orders are to take you into custody and transport you to the central cell block. You'll do no such thing. I'm calling my lawyer. She'll straighten this out. Fontaine shoved the warrant back at Jenkins. Jenkins' partner stepped closer and stood behind him, fingering the slapjack at his waist. Fontaine buzzed Eileen. Get Maxine Cade on the phone, now. A deep red flush crept over Fontaine's round brown face. Veins in his neck protruded. He rocked back and forth on his heels as he waited. When his phone buzzed, he snatched it up. Maxie, he barked. He paused. Eileen, what the hell are you talking about? Maxie's not dead. I just saw her last night. Jenkins motioned to Fontaine and handed back the warrant. Sir, you better read this again. Fontaine took the paper and read it. His knees gave way and he sat down hard on his sofa. He put his head in his hands. Jenkins took back the warrant, pulled a laminated card from his shirt pocket and read aloud from it. Sir, you're under arrest for the murder of Angela Maxine Kincaid, AKA Maxie Kincaid. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say may be used against you. Fontaine sputtered and Jenkins grabbed him as he slumped to the floor. Jenkins turned to his partner, get an ambulance, stat. He felt for a pulse in the congressman's thick wrist and tell them to hurry. All right, so we got a nice inciting incident there to uh, to pull us into the story. Uh, we've got South Carolina Congressman Jack Fontaine, as you say, he's in the frame, accused and presumed guilty uh, from the start. Uh, Max C. Kincaid is a lobbyist and Jack's lover. She's murdered in her Georgetown home hours after he left her, and suspicion runs high that he killed her. Now, the only reason Mercy Johnson gets involved is because of some relative of her mama's, right, that kind of connects her to this particular case. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and so they get involved. And talk about the supporting characters. She's got a private investigator and uh, a couple of interns. Well, she has a private investigator who's one of her former clients, did some time for bank robbery, and she had promised him when he came home she'd give him a job, and she did. And um, he's sort of the backbone of the office. 
keeping everything running smoothly and keeping all the other people who work there in line. Then she has two interns, um, both law students, and they're, uh, they work as investigators. And that's her little staff. It's a small firm. When the congressman dismisses is a bunch of greenhorns, I think. Yeah. And he's not very uh, easy to get along with, even though they're putting in a lot of time uh, and expense into defending him. He's he's maintaining his arrogance throughout the book, which adds some a conflict. Uh, I don't know. Did you ever – you worked in the public defender uh, service for years. Did you ever have those kind of situations with clients where they didn't trust you necessarily or gave you a lot of – I mean, you know, in some respects, their lives are in your hands, and yet they're pushing back. Did that happen in your case? Oh, yeah. Not, not often, thank goodness, but there are always difficult clients. I don't think it matters whether they're paying you or the court's paying you. There are people, some people, and, and part of it, I guess, is because people are so scared by the circumstances they're in. But, oh, yeah, difficult clients. So... You wrote five books in this series. Um, just talk a little bit about the arc of the series. You started out, uh, uh, this one didn't have as much courtroom drama in it. There, there were a lot of things that took place outside the courtroom. Uh, but did some of the other books have more courtroom scenes? And, and sort of talk about that and, and the arc of Mercy from the beginning to this fifth book. Well, the first book starts out with Mercy in court and she's held in contempt um, the judge tells her to pay $100 on the spot, and she hands him 200 because she knows it's only going to get worse. And the second book is Sleepy Time. Uh, that one is not set in D.C., actually. It's set in a prison um, in another state. She's uh, helping uh, a prisoner who's wrongly accused. The third one is Two Wrongs, and that's um, there's a fair amount of court a courtroom drama in that one. It's a, 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 a struggle between a mother and her 17-year-old daughter. The mother kills the stepfather, and the daughter turns out to be the government's primary witness against her. So uh, that's a good tug of war between uh, mom and Mercy. Mom wants to protect the daughter at all costs, and Mercy has to show that the daughter's a liar in order to defend the mother. And then the fourth one, Discovering Grace, has a fair amount of courtroom uh, drama and uh, a little less so in In the Frame, as you said. Well, I like the supporting cast that you've got because they do support uh, Mercy throughout. Uh, you know, it's always nice that characters have some strengths and some weaknesses and she can lean on him to help her in circumstances. But how did she change over the course of these books? Uh uh, what, were, what were some of the struggles she was dealing with and how did she, how did she get through? Well, I think she's, uh, she's, she's feisty in all the books, obviously in the first book when she gets held in contempt. Uh, and, uh, that, that's, uh, and, and her husband Walter comes into the courtroom and is, is about to have a stroke cause he's afraid she's going to jail. Um, mm -hmm. and they have a very good relationship and he, that's continued throughout the five books. But I think, uh, in one book, Mercy's injured and can't continue to practice the way she's used to practicing. In the book with the uh, woman who kills her husband and, 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 and the daughters, the witness against her, that brings to the fore Mercy's own decision not to have children and a conflict between her and the client because the client keeps 
insisting that Mercy can't understand the depth of her love for her daughter because Mercy doesn't have children and and causes Mercy to wrangle with whether that decision was really the right one. Um, so I think um, she grows in each of the books and, and, and what as the series moves along, we see her really wrestling with the fact that her 94-year-old grandmother who raised her um, is just not long for this world, and that's very, very difficult for her. So uh, what do you hope that uh, readers uh, get from this story and from the series itself? I hope people see my love for my characters. I genuinely love them and respect them. And I hope that people who have a view of the criminal justice system as one side wears the white hats and, and is always on the, uh, on the uh, right path and the other side is uh, seeking to undermine justice. It's just not that way in the real world. And I want people to see that it's much, uh, that the issues are much more nuanced. And uh, um, even, and the one thing I hope people take from my books is even people who've done things that are, we can all agree, very wrong, still have um, a, a, a spark of, of uh, humanity and are worth the effort to try to, to get them into a place where they get a second chance. Yeah, I think you told me that in your 30-some years of defending people accused of crimes, that the one truth you believed above all others is that every person is capable of the worst behavior, and conversely, every person is capable of the best behavior, and what people do in a certain situation should not necessarily uh, govern their entire lives. And uh, they should be, as you said, offered a second chance. And a good defense, criminal defense lawyer might uh, might help with that or maybe might help with a reduced sentence that puts them back on track. So, uh, hey, let's do this. Let's do the writing life for just a minute. Uh, you know, you you, ha- you told me you had some early success at writing. In college, you sent a story to Doris Betts. That's a well-known name. Uh, what did Doris tell you about your writing? I don't really remember very much about it, but I remember I was so elated because she had written a little note on the top of my story and said, you have promise. Keep keep writing or keep at this or something. And I don't even have the story anymore. So <laughs> I, I couldn't prove that that happened, but I know in my heart it did. <laughs> yeah, and you said it took you many years to follow that advice to get back to writing. And, uh, you know, it, it, your sort of entrance into this these novels, uh, the opportunity to write full-time came as a result of a difficult personal circumstance. You had a stroke due to a infection. Um, that's kind of a terrible way to become a writer. Do you, <laughs> do, you sometimes, do, you, do you sometimes reflect on that path as you're getting enjoyment out of what you do as a writer and think how sometimes bad things can turn into – some good sometimes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I told you, I think the best thing that ever happened to me or one of the best things was getting fired from my job at the welfare department and going right. to Julius Chambers for representation. But yes, I, I see that, that illness as a, uh, as a way to cause me to really examine life. And I don't think stress caused the illness, but stress certainly made me more vulnerable to the illness. And it was just a matter of choice. Do I want to keep working or do I want to be healthy and try to find another way to spend my time and use my talents? So So I sometimes ask uh, authors this, and I'll ask it of you, uh, Rita, why do you write? I write because... um, 
the, the words are there. <laughs> I feel like I've got to give home to them. And it's such a pleasure. It's, as you know, it's so hard. And sometimes it really feels like banging your head into a brick wall, especially the rewrites. The rewrites are just awful. But, I mean, you know, you read what you've written and you say, well, I do. I say, who wrote this junk? And then I start trying to make it better. But I really feel like it's a compulsion. I just have to do it. Yeah, and I'm always interested when I have fellow lawyers on the show, I get to ask them a question, you know, like this. What was the most challenging thing you found about shifting from writing briefs to writing fiction? Learning to use the English language. I mean, the, what law school takes all that out of you. You just have to write in a formulaic kind of way to be, uh, you know, for your pleadings to be accepted. And mm -hmm. th that's not the way fiction is written. And yet, I'm sure that some of the things you may have learned as a lawyer have helped. How did being a lawyer help you as a novelist? Discipline and hard work and perseverance. There were many times I wanted to give up because I thought nobody's buying these books. I'm not really reaching my audience. Why am I working so hard? But I think that's it, discipline and perseverance. You have a goal, you work toward it. Yeah, and, you, you know, we've talked about this, you know, um, some writers have instant success, some have that kind of instant success that takes 10 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. You know, others others just, you know, write for the joy of writing and, and are happy with the readers who find them. You, you, you've talked a little bit to me about this, about transitioning from how you think about what you do uh, from when you started to what you think what you think about now. Maybe you had some different visions of, how your right, life as a writer would turn out. Uh, just in a, to talk about that just a second. I wanted to sell a lot of books and get a movie contract <laughs> and, and make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> what writer doesn't? But, right. but quickly I said, hmm, I think I might want to adjust my aims here a little bit. And really yeah. it, it didn't take long for me to, to realize that that wasn't going to happen <laughs> and that what I, what I would be very content with a dedicated core of readers who really appreciated the work and really appreciated the stories. Yeah, well, it's a good story, and I'm you know I'm not going to give anything away. It's, a, it's got some good characters, but it's also plot with some plot twists. And so, you know, is 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 Jack going to get out of this mess? And sometimes you think he doesn't deserve to get right. out of it when you're reading it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, maybe you're, it's the first book. I'm maybe I'm pulling against this guy. Maybe they'll uh, maybe she'll lose this case. Or whatever, but uh, you know. But uh, I think uh, one last question here. Is there going to be another Mercy Johnson or um, are you moving on to something else? There's no, then I don't in anticipate, never say never, but I don't anticipate another Mercy Johnson because it occurred to me, mama is going to die and that's not happening on my watch. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. You're just too attached to that character. Yes. But, uh yeah, so you're going to do something different. You've got five books in the series. You're going to you're going to shift and and write. Uh, are you going to still write uh, uh, about lawyers, or are you going to branch out and do something else? The protagonist in the new series I'm starting is a 50ish um, female lawyer who's also a recovering alcoholic, and um, okay. I think there's a basis there for some good books. That's good. Well, um, Rita, we're uh, we're just uh, about out of time here. Any thoughts for the 
you know, the, the lawyer would be a novelist out there who thinks they've got a story in them but, uh, that you can share from your own experience? Start writing. And when you start writing, if you're in a city like Charlotte, join the Charlotte Writers Club, get in a critique group and work with your critique group. It's the best way to get a good product. Yeah, there are a lot of good organizations in Charlotte and regionally, as you mentioned, Charlotte Writers Club. Uh, there's Charlotte Center for Literary Arts. There's a North Carolina Writers Network. Uh, the library has writing organizations. Pam Turner runs Write yes. Like You Mean It. There are just a lot of opportunities uh, in Charlotte and beyond in different communities in the region here to get connected and uh, learn the writing craft. That's one thing that I did after I stumbled around and uh, wrote my first book and realized that I needed to even learn a little bit more. Uh, of course, I'm still learning. That's why I like to go take these courses, as I'm sure you do, uh, and stay connected. But, uh, hey, Rita, thanks so much for uh, for being with us today on uh, Charlotte Reader's Podcast, and we look forward to uh, hearing what's uh, coming next. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written words. Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author. But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker and sometimes away from the studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And not enough time. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved. <laughs>